This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 9th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Um, sorry, I'm Kevin Wesley. And what years were you at the station? I was at the sta- I'm sorry, I was at the station from uh, December of 2012 through November of 2017. Okay. And what programs did you work on at the radio station? My primary program was That's How I Spell Ireland. Um, I replaced uh, another person who had retired. and um, But I also volunteered to do the Rock and Roll Oasis. Uh, at first, they wouldn't let me do it because uh, the purpose of doing that is, unfortunately, most of the songs in the computer at the uh, college uh, at the university, rather, uh, they think that rock and roll started with the Beatles. So the songs were from the Beatles mid-60s on. So I told them I wanted to concentrate on the 50s. And consequently, I would use my own uh, music because I've been a DJ for 40 years. So I have all that stuff. And at first they were very reluctant. But then after a while they said, okay, and maybe once a month I would I would go on as a guest host when they were stuck. I mean, come on, man. Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know. Can you imagine? You know, Roy Orbison. Let's. Can you imagine? Let's let's, let's go. <laughs> let's go, baby. Um, all right. Um, sorry, I got distracted there. Did you have any titles or positions at the station? No. Um, I produced and I presented uh, the two programs that I did, but I didn't really, other than community volunteer. Uh, what they would do is, uh, uh, I guess, because the students work so hard during the week, they tried to give them a break on the weekend. So most of the programming on the weekend, other than the sports programs, were done by what was called community volunteers. And they were uh, uh, adults in the uh, in the community. And a lot of the music was ethnic music on the weekends. Okay. Um, did you use your own name on the air? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, not for the uh, Rock and Roll Oasis. I use Boss Man Kevin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that might be more authentic, you know. All right. All right. So this is a two-part question, and answer it whatever order it makes sense or how it makes sense to you. Uh, but what was it that first brought you to Hofstra Radio? And for those of us who weren't there when you were, can you describe what the station was like and maybe who you met or what was going on at the time? Well, I had been a listener and a contributor for years. Um, I worked with Tony Jackson for many years on Irish weekends. Uh, he would MC, and uh, my wife Joni and I, we would teach what's called Kelly dancing, which is a, a form of Irish dancing. It's, it's kind of like square dancing, not the stuff that you would see uh, around St. Patrick's Day. And uh, Tony told me he was going to retire, so... Uh, uh, I expressed interest in uh, throwing my hat in the ring. Okay. And uh, at the time, uh, they had already moved to the new location. However, I appeared several times on Tony and Eileen Cronin's program uh, when it was at the old location, um, but also when it was at the, the current location. So you had been uh, at the station when it was in the 
older location at Dempster Hall when it was in the basement, but then also you spent time when it was in the newer building at uh, Dempster Hall. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, so the first time you went down to the station, I guess you were uh, a listener, you were a fan of, uh, of Tony's show. Is that right? Yes. And the reason why I would go down is I was the Cayley director of the Irish Arts Center for a number of years. Plus, um, I used to do Cayleys on my own, and I wrote a, a book about uh, Cayley dancing. So anytime, not anytime, but uh, every once in a while when I wanted to promote uh, a Cayley out on Long Island or promote my book, I would ask them if I could come on the program and, and uh, get a little free advertising. Uh, during my student days, when I was at uh, WRHU and we were in Dempster Hall, uh, on occasion, I would uh, engineer for Tony's show. And I always remember it being a really fun time. And, and lots of people would come in and visit. And it just it just always felt not quite like a party, but you know, I don't know what else to call it. It was kind of like a party. Do you remember uh, the first time coming down and experiencing that sort of atmosphere with Tony and Maureen? Yes. Um, uh, and, you know, it was always very loose. You know, there was it wasn't very well structured, you know, not, I shouldn't say well structured, but it was we were just there for a chat, you know, right. that type of thing. OK. And that's what one of my uh, one of my former students, when she started listening to my program and I would have a guest on, I ran into her maybe about a year after I started broadcasting. And she said the thing that she liked about my interviews were it didn't sound like an interview. It just sounded like uh, I was sitting there chatting with a friend. Oh, that's great. That's perfect. That's exactly what you want it to be. Yeah. So, so you'd been on the air a little bit, and Tony announced that he was going to retire. And so you sort of threw your hat in the ring. Did you? How did you go about expressing an interest in doing a show? Uh, I told Tony that I was interested, and um, he said, "Fine." He would he would mention my name to the executive board. Now, this was in the spring. Hmm. So finally, I decided I was going to take the bull by the horns. And I called up uh, John Mullen, and I expressed my interest. And it was only about a week before the, the fall class started. So he told me to come down immediately. And him and Sasha interviewed me. And then um, they uh, put me in the training class. So John Mullen and Basha interviewed you uh, and said, come on and take the training class in that fall. Is that? Yeah. Okay. So for the, again, for those of us who weren't there at the same time, the, the, the Bruce Avery era training classes are something of legend. Could you talk a little bit about taking those classes? Well, um, I was the only, uh, community volunteer in the class of about 40 or 50 people. And the first night, they uh, wanted everyone to stand up and introduce yourself, uh, give what year you were in and what your major was. So uh, I got up and I said, well, I'm not going to tell you the year that I graduated, but I will tell you this. If you tried to carry around a calculator when I was in college, you'd get a hernia. <laughs> what we used to use was something called the slide rule to do calculations. And um, I got some chuckles. But then the next week, several of the people in the class came up to me and said, you know, I Googled the slide rule. How in God's name did you use that thing? 
I, and then I explained to them, well, it's all based on logarithms. And that, that crossed their eyes. And they said, oh, thank you very much. I, I was going to ask if, if people knew what a slide rule was, but that's, that's, a, that's an even better answer to the question. So well done right. there. Clue. <laughs> so so uh, how many weeks was the training course? And was there anything memorable that, that you learned? Because you said you were already on the air and you'd spent some time and had a very conversational style. Was there anything that you learned in the program that stuck with you and said, this is going to make me better? This is going to make me more comfortable? Oh, absolutely. Um, first of all, the camaraderie um, with the other students that were in the class uh, some of them engineered for me, you know, later when I was allowed to broadcast. But mostly um, I learned about the FCC regulations. Uh, and even though I've been DJing for 40 years, the equipment that I use isn't even close. I never DJed on the radio before mm. other than being a guest. And the equipment that I used uh, was, wasn't even close to the complicated equipment in the, in the studio. So I learned a tremendous amount about that and how to edit and and uh, things like that. Okay. So uh, so were you spending time on other people's shows, uh, uh, observing how to engineer and doing practice, or was that happening on Saturday nights? What happened is when you go through the training class, when I went through it, you had to do, I believe it was called tracking. Yep. You had to put in 10 hours of tracking. And usually that came out to about one hour a week. And what that meant was you went to the studio and you watched while the program was in session and you watched the engineer and the presenters. The first couple of weeks, you just basically watched what was going on. But then after that, you actually had hands-on experience uh, going for a break, uh, playing the, the different... Um, uh, songs and tunes and, and things like that. Most people use CDs. Mm -hmm. However, there is one program that I insisted on tracking on, and that is the, um, I think it's the Rhythm and Blues. I forget the name of the program. It's on Sunday. Rhythm and Blues. And they Sunday, actually, yeah. yes, they actually use vinyl. They used uh, 45s. So, uh, and, you know, all of my, since I had been DJing for so long, all of my music was downloaded on iTunes. It was all electronically downloaded. And the, the good thing about that was you didn't have to worry about the, the condition of the CD that you were playing. But I, I wanted to find out, you know, the method of using a vinyl just in case. And a couple of years later, I actually had uh, a vinyl portion of my show. I would uh, uh, pick a, an artist and FCC regulations say you can't play more than three tracks from one artist. Right. So uh, I would uh, get the old vinyl recordings and then uh, download them electronically, and I would then play them on the air. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, that must have been uh, some sort of experience hanging out with the, with the R&B guys, because I remember back in my day, they would go record to record to record, and those aren't very long songs. Those uh, those fifties era records, they're you know two minutes, two and a half minutes. So you're constantly switching records and queuing things up. That must have been uh, pretty exciting and intimidating at the same time. It was, uh, but they were great. You know, they showed me how to do it, and uh, fortunately, we had two turntables. 
Um, so, you know, you, but you had to be quick, so you're right. Um, and the, an interesting thing that I discovered, uh, when I used to program my Irish show, uh, I would uh, put in, I would try and program maybe 15 uh, tunes per hour. Um, and I took a lot of requests, so I never really actually got through all of the songs that I had queued up. I would just drop them down to the next week's show. But um, when I was doing the Rock and Roll Oasis, I had to queue up at least 20 to 22 songs per hour because you hit the nail right on the head. Rock and roll songs, it's very rare that a rock and roll song in the 50s was more than two and a half minutes. Yeah. There is one... Um, exception to that that I can think of, and uh, I believe that was the Ten Commandments of Love. Um, they felt that anything longer than two and a half minutes just was not marketable. And the Ten Commandments of Love, I, if I remember correctly, the original went well over four minutes long. It had to be re-recorded to, to cut it, maybe it was seven minutes, I forget. But anyway, it had to be re-recorded to cut it down a little bit. But it was by far the, the longest uh, hit song that uh, I can remember. Isn't it interesting that that you know the the popular music of the time, your Buddy Holly records and so forth, they're two two and a half minutes. And I wonder I wonder if that's the you know the beginning of the problems with our our general attention spans. You know, people can't can't uh, stay <laughs> focused on anything. Uh, we'll we'll blame it on rock and roll again. That's uh, I think that's a good idea. Blame <laughs> it on Alan Freed. Alan Freed was. To, according to my parents, Alan Freed was a monster. <laughs> he was he was the devil. He he really was. He was also Elvis. Right, right. Elvis was the devil also, <laughs> and they both of them were going to ruin the American society. Well, Kevin, I, I think we just solved or, or at least figured out the root of a lot of the world's problems. It's all it's all rock and roll. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you'd been a guest uh, and and been at the station. Uh, do you remember your first time getting on the air as a host? And were you feeling nervous? Were you excited? What was going through your mind when it's your time to host the show for the first time? I was incredibly nervous. Um, Rick... Uh, Rich DeCourt um, was my engineer. Uh, he taught me a lot. Uh, him and another fellow by the name of Steve Wolf. Uh, he used to engineer regularly for me also. Um, but I was so nervous, um, I didn't sit down the entire two hours. I started with two hours because it was during the hockey season. And then after the hockey season was over, the board met and they allowed me to go to the, the three hours. But uh, even when I perform as a DJ at a party, I always sit down. I never stand up. <laughs> I was so nervous, I, I couldn't sit down. Yeah, I imagine that's that's a that's a lot of excitement to get there, and it's it's your show, and like you said, you, you're programming your music ahead of time, and you want it to turn out well. So um, absolutely, you know, it took me usually probably ten hours to prepare for a three hour show. I understand. I completely understand that. Um, I don't think I realized that. And you know, the funny thing about it was after the show was over, Rich said to me, well, Kevin, that was very good. You know, after a, a couple of shows, uh, I'm sure it'll be perfect. And I said to him, Rich, if you're looking for perfection, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the fun thing, too, about radio that, you know, you, you do it and you put it out there and, and 
there's there's no taking it back once it's out there. So that's 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 Absolutely. part of the, the excitement of it too. So when do you feel yeah. like you you were comfortable on the air? Did it take a couple of weeks, couple of shows, couple of months? Uh, when did you feel comfortable? It only took a couple of weeks. You know, I got into the groove pretty quickly. Um, and because I guess I'd been a DJ for so long. One of the things I'm very proud of is um, they have the fundraisers every year, usually in the spring. Uh, I like to uh, call them fundraisers. Uh, they're referred to as marathons mm-hmm. also. And what we do is we ask the listeners to contribute. And that money goes, I guess, 99% to fund the sports uh, broadcasting because there are a lot of bills uh, sending the, the students all, all over the country to, to record uh, the different programs, not only the school, but also uh, we're the flagship station of the Islanders. Mm-hmm. So um, most of the fundraising went towards that. And the first year uh, I was only broadcasting for a couple of months, we took in $7,000 the next year we took in ten thousand. The following year we took in twelve thousand, and then the next year we took in fifteen thousand. And that was obviously I didn't do that all on my own, but I was very proud of that. Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling to know that people are out there and they're invested, uh, both emotionally and and I guess financially. That must feel really nice. Yeah, apparently the early fundraisers or the earlier went to build. The uh, the tower at the uh, at the school. John Mullen would often say to me that tower was built by the Irish community. That that is that is the truth. The Irish community and WRHU have been linked for a very very long time. Absolutely. Um, so you've mentioned John Mullen a couple of times and Basha. Uh, who were some of the other people who were helpful in getting you settled at the station in your early days? Well, the fellows that did the Rhythm and Blues Serenade, uh, and I can't remember their names right now. but Frank and Gordon? Um, yes, thank you. Um, he was the one that took me aside uh, when the executive board extended the program from two to three hours. Um, and unfortunately, Bruce didn't think that I could handle the three hours. I tried to explain to him that... of my DJing jobs were four hours, you know, but uh, Frank took me aside and he said, you know, you're adding an extra hour. You really need to think about uh, adding some sort of a feature to fill up uh, some of that hour. And uh, what I did was um, I started doing the history of, of Ireland in song, which is what my multimedia presentations are all about. And I would do this week, in Irish history. And I would go through uh, uh, as many uh, facts as I could come across. And then um, any of the, the thing that I've always been fascinated about Irish music, there are so many songs that are related to Irish um, history. Um, So anytime I came across a fact that did have some song that was hooked up with it, um, I I would play that as part of the feature. That's really interesting. And as a social studies teacher, I'm especially interested. I wish I, I wish I had known at the time, but uh, that's, that's, that's very cool. I like that very much. I usually ask this question with the idea in mind that the person I'm talking to came to the radio station as 
as a teenager, as a freshman in college, or, or someone brand new. Um, you come a, from a slightly different angle because you were an adult and a listener. So I wonder how we can uh, frame this. Either, you know, what did you think WRHU would mean to you as you were becoming a community volunteer? Or if you want to take it this way, or both, what did you think WRHU would be when you first started volunteering and guesting uh, on the Irish Country Show? One of the things that I learned early on was uh, I once referred to the program as my program, and I was very quickly corrected. Um, it's not really my program because there are so many people that go into putting that program on that I really should refer to it as our program hmm. or the program. And they were, when I thought about it, they were absolutely right. All the engineers all the volunteers, you know, it's all, it's all one big family. And to think that you're doing it all on your own, is just foolish. Hmm. It, it is quite a helpful community, but when, when you're, when you're starting out, you're not necessarily cognizant of that. You just want to get your music and your voice, let's say on, on the air, but that's, that's a really interesting uh, observation and note to take as you get started at the station, that's, yeah, it is really a team and it's a community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kevin, this has been uh, really entertaining and really fun. And I'm, I'm very pleased that you would take the time to share your stories. And I know from our previous conversation, you've got more stories and, and let's do this again sometime. Uh, that would be delightful. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. <laughs>